Hey, can we celebrate the worship team? What, what great worship today. Unbelievable. It took me home. There was a little bluegrass feel to that today, wasn't it? little gospel notion to it. Uh, my, my dad and my uncle played in a bluegrass band when they were 15 and 13 years old. Is that amazing? They were on the radio uh, every week. And so I was raised on bluegrass. So when I hear that, and especially when Jace picks up the mandolin, because my uncle played the mandolin, and I remember songs like the Tennessee Waltz. Any of you, any of you old enough like me to even remember that? But man, what, what good stuff this morning, just preparing our hearts, just taking us to a place that we're just engaging the Lord, and we're just listening and trying to be as, as observant about Him as we can. You know what, when my sons were small, I on a pretty regular occasion would write them notes or letters. And honestly, I, I, I did that. Now, most of the time, since they're older, I simply text them almost on a weekly basis. I'll text them prayers and thoughts. Uh, I'll just text them uh, some texts just laced with Scripture. I just want them to know. I want them to never lose the fact. I don't, I don't care what age they are. I don't want them to ever lose the fact that God has a plan for their lives. And so I stay in pretty constant contact in that way, and I've done it over the years, but it's so much a part to me of understanding that if my family, if my extended family even, is going to take a hold of faith, please hear me, please hear me, parents. You and I have to encourage them and enable them, and please hear this word, it's very intentional, and help position them in a way that they're going to connect with Jesus. And I promise you, it's just critical for us to never lose sight of the fact that we have been given these wonderful gifts so that you and I can give the greatest gift to them. And so as we walk down this road, it's, it's something that for me, I try on a very regular uh, basis to let them understand that this, this life of the gospel... This life with Jesus is a life that's worth living. And that is the title, if you will, of the series that we're about to begin today. And in some ways, please hear me, it is what makes the letter from Paul to the church at Thessalonica so important for us, honestly so special. Because not only was bringing the, the gospel to Thessalonica such a critical step for Paul's missional journey, please hear me, it enabled to create a road that could take the west to Rome and go east to Asia. And this was a critical place. Thessalonica was a, a critical place for Paul to, to found a church. And so when we read him writing to Thessalonica... There's no doubt that there's something different about it. Please hear me. This is a letter of great love and great intimacy. And the reason is because these are Paul's spiritual children. Uh, some, some scholars say that this church was only a few months old when this letter is written to them. So if you think, if you understand that they're in the very infant stages, if you will, of their faith, that's no overstatement at all. These are people who are probably only a few months old in their faith. And Paul wants them to know, just as I do for my children, Paul wanted his spiritual children to understand that this gift of life in Christ that has been given them is a life that's worth living. 
I mean, and like all parents, <laughs> this is the truth, is it not? There was something in the child's life that needed to be complimented. There were some things that he was anxious about. Any of you understand that? And there were some things that he corrected them on. But underlying every part of this, underlying every part of this is this deep love that he has for them. And it's this love that he desires for these people to have a whole life in Christ. It's the same thing that we pray for our kids. That we desire for our children. And so as we spend the next few weeks, and this is what our small groups are going to focus on. They're going to focus on the teachings of this. And as we make our way through this, it's done with a sense that in the same way that Paul gives to them some foundational principles of their faith, we hope that we also learn some of those foundational principles that are going to be able to tell us not only that this is a life worth living, but give us skills and tools to enable us to live that life. Now let's begin today with just two very simple verses. And it's verses 2 and 3 of chapter 1. And in it, Paul gives to us three things. Three aspects of a believer's life that should mark his or her life. If there's anything Paul wants us to understand that's going to define us as people, define us as followers of Jesus, it would be these three things. Just let me read the verses first. Paul writes, we always thank God for all of you, and we continually mention you in our prayers we constantly remember the accomplishment of your faith, the hard work of your love, and the patience of your hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Now notice, notice what Paul does immediately because I, I don't want to miss this fact. Paul reminds them that they are continually in his prayers. You see, he wants, to be, he wants them to be assured of something, that they are being lifted up, that they are being covered. Because Paul understood without any doubt the struggles they were going through. Paul understood the persecution that they were now feeling because of their faith. And please hear me say this, in Thessalonica, it was intense. But Paul also wants them to be very mindful as he begins to thank God for the work God is already doing in this place. Now I want to tell you why. If you go back to Acts the 17th chapter, I promise you, you don't have to read very long to understand that what Paul and Silas walked into in Thessalonica was nothing short of just chaos and turmoil. At every point, at every point of this ministry, they felt pushback. At every point, they felt persecution. Yet in the midst of that, and please, honestly, in spite of that, God does something. There was no fertile soil here. There was no reason for the gospel to take root in the way that it did. But God had a work to do. And God set about doing something. And these, the seeds that Paul and Silas are sharing, they found root in the hearts of people. And some of those folks probably, honestly, if you and I could go back and meet them, we would say, I can't believe those folks came to Christ. It's like some of the people you and I hang around and we're tentative about sharing our faith or we're tentative about building a relationship with because we really have doubts, to be honest with you, if Jesus is powerful enough to change their lives. And yet that is what we find here in Thessalonica. 
And Paul is so thankful that Paul understands that what's happening in this place is so far beyond him and his capacity. I want to tell you, Jesus was making a difference in this place. Their lives were changed. Who they were began to take on a different form. And in the midst of that, friends, in the midst of that, the church was born. Paul was thankful to God for what he'd done. Don't you love what he says? We always thank God. We always thank God for all of you. And notice what he says, and we continually mention you in our prayers. You see, Paul understood something. He's going to share with them some of the tenets of the faith, but Paul understood that one of the critical things for the ongoing life of these believers was to understand, please hear me, the vitality and the necessity of prayer. And do you want to know something the same is absolutely, positively, without doubt, true for you and me today? And I want to say something here that I think is critically important. For prayer to be powerful and mining your lives, you and I have to utilize prayer. Can I say it again? It's not profound, but I think it's powerful. For prayer to be powerful, we have to utilize prayer. You know, as I pondered this, as I've talked with people this week, and and in particular, even as I've shared with Ellen and others, Ellen is this great bouncing board for me. I have become more mindful that perhaps I don't speak to this truth enough. In some ways, you know, as as I've been praying and fasting like for Joe's, things come to my mind. There's been an awareness sometimes in my life that I think sometimes I take prayer for granted. I've prayed so long and so hard. And what I sometimes hesitate and forget is that for some people, this is brand new in this place. I hope I say clearly enough, and if I haven't, I want to say it today. That because of God's Holy Spirit residing in you and me, in the hearts of every believer in this place, Every one of us, please hear me, every one of us has this amazing capacity to call every minute of every day on the incredible power of prayer as Jesus lives in us and intercedes for us. Can I say it again? Every one of us have this amazing capacity to pray. You see, prayer is all about you and me speaking to God, engaging God. It's about you and me calling out to God, blessing God, praising God, petitioning God. And please, please hear me say this. It is not something that is set aside only for a few of the elite. It's set aside for each one of us. To simply speak to and with God. And my friends, Jesus, Jesus made that possible for all of us. I'm going to ask you to do me a favor today. And uh, to be honest with you, I think it's going to push some of you a little bit out of your comfort zone. I don't know. But I'm going to, I'm going to ask you to do me a favor at this moment. I, just want, I want you to lay your hand over your heart. Would you do that right now? And I just want you to pat your heart. 
Now, over the last three years, some of you may have noticed, and I, I did it this morning, I wasn't even thinking about it. But when I worship, I do this. And please know, I don't do this to wake Jesus up. <laughs> Although this morning, I felt a little jump in my step as we were singing and going together. I do this to remind myself that Jesus lives there. You can keep patting. He doesn't mind. And that I can call on Him anytime. i got to be honest with you, sometimes I use this in my prayer life as Morse code. When struggles are on the horizon and I need to call out to Him. Or sometimes simply as a measure of comfort. I simply do this to say, Jesus, I know You're there. But let me tell you why I do it mostly. It is an effort on my part to remind me that for prayer to be powerful in my life, I have to utilize prayer. You see, Paul wants the Thessalonians to know he's praying to them, but I promise you, he wants them even more to be reminded of the power of prayer. And I trust, I trust, friends, we're doing the same this morning. But now let's also notice that there are three specific things that Paul remembers to pray for regarding the Thessalonians. And I want you to know they are faith and there's love and there's hope. And this trilogy, faith, hope, and love, are super important to Paul. He uses it five times in his writings. Uh, one time in Romans, one in Galatians, one in Colossians, one in Ephesians, and one, as most of us know, in 1 Corinthians. You see, faith... Love and hope are for Paul, if you will, kind of a shorthand summary of the essentials of the faith. In verse 3, and let's pay in particular attention to the phrases that Paul chooses to use as he talks about these three things. The first one he says, he wants us to know that as you and I as believers, please hear me, you and I, we are a work produced by our faith. Verse 3 says, I want you to know, I pray for the accomplishment of your faith. Paul is giving insight in two things. First, his appreciation for what God is doing in people's lives. But secondly, Paul wants us to know that our faith is not primarily an intellectual exercise. Now this is important because we don't primarily refer to our faith as work. But the Greek word that Paul uses here for accomplishment or work is ergon, and that is a sense, it is a sense that this is our vocation. It's not something that we toil or labor over. He'll get to that. Our accomplishment, our friends that he's celebrating, that he's thanking the Lord for, the accomplishment in the Thessalonians' lives is that their faith has become their lifestyle. It is a way of life as opposed to a simple course of conduct. It's so much bigger, he says, than the do's and the don'ts. One scholar noted, and I love this, he said the Thessalonians had come to understand that that faith is that thing that occupies us. It's taken residence. It's taken over some things. You know, history proves that many victories of many battles was dependent on taking, if you will, or occupying certain critical areas. Friends, I want you to know the victory of faith is so much dependent on our faith occupying us, finding a prominent place, having something that we build upon. 
You see, this word here says, as he talks about this, this is the basis of how our life should spring from our faith. Our faith causes us to take a certain course of action, if you will. Our faith becomes the GPS, the direction of our lives. One translation says it this way, we are a work produced by our faith. And when he says that, it honestly means that the work of the cross, friends, produces a work in us. (laughs) It's how we are shaped by our faith. It's about the difference that faith makes in how we live our lives. Philippians 2 says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. There's, there's, there's something about this that's so intense. Paul says, I want you to know you, you need to tremble a little bit. And notice why. He says, for it is God who is at work in you. Enabling you and me both to will and to work. And notice what it says, for His good pleasure. Isn't it amazing to think that little old you and me bring pleasure to God by how we live our lives? Paul instructs us that faith should do the same relationally, emotionally, physically, intellectually, and spiritually. Our faith should impact and influence how we live. Paul says it produces a work in us. He says it occupies us. We, friends, for lack of a better word, we are works. We are works produced by Jesus. Second, Paul shares that we're not only works produced by our faith. Notice what he says, but as believers, you and I are kind of a labor prompted by love. Now, let me get into this because the phrase he used, he says, I want to thank the Lord for the hard work of your love. Now, Paul now is talking about laboring. He's talking about going against the tide. He's talking about swimming in a direction that may not always be the prominent or the popular one. In fact, this is the kind of labor that Paul's talking about. It's the kind of labor that takes us to absolute sheer exhaustion and fatigue. This is the... This is the kind of exhaustion associated with just really, really tough work. I want to tell you, friends, I I understand this because, you know, I told you I I worked for uh, several years for my dad in the roofing company in Mississippi. And I'm going to tell you, when you're up on a roof and the temperature gauge finally breaks at about 139 degrees and you work there all day and you've seen people, you know how you get cramps in your legs? I've seen grown men their stomach muscles, they are so dehydrated that their stomach muscles cramp and stick out of them like fists coming out of their stomachs. But Paul says, I want to tell you something. So great should be mine and your concern for other people. That we're willing to go not only the second mile, but we're willing to go beyond it for the sake of another. It's important for us to understand this Greek word for love is agape. It's not a love based on feelings. It is a love of intentionality. It is a love of action, whether we feel like it or not. It means to choose to act. Please hear me say this. It means to choose to act at the best interest of another 
It means to choose that you and I will willingly give up so another can have. It means to choose the place and the thoughts, to think of the thoughts and feelings of another ahead of our own. And I promise you some days to love like that is just hard work, isn't it? But please understand something, friends. This is big stuff. Because I want to tell you, this changes how and what we communicate to other people. Now, now please hear this phrase, and how we communicate about other people. It changes how we speak about folks when that person is not around. By understanding this phrase, please hear me, you and I are better able to understand some critical passages. Listen to Jesus' words. Love your enemies. Mm, That's hard work, God. Bless those who persecute you. Do good to those who hate you. And pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. And notice what he says, so that you may be my sons and my daughters of your Father in heaven. Paul's words in 1 Corinthians 13 take on a different light when you understand Paul's phrasing. Now when you hear love is patient, And love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love never delights in evil, but it rejoices with the truth. Do you know what he means there? He means that sometimes you and I slight things. We say things in a different way that maybe we want it to sound spiritual, but underneath there's a whole other intent. And notice what he says. It always protects. That means the other person. It always trusts. It always hopes. And it always perseveres. You know what we see is that The love of Christ is just not for folks that are consumed by themselves. But I promise you this, it is for people who believe that this kind of love, that loving people like this can be the most healing, the most redeeming, and I promise you this, it can be the most powerful force in the world. And we are able to believe that because this kind of love is a love that has healed us and redeemed us. We've experienced that kind of grace, therefore we give that kind of grace. We've experienced that kind of mercy, therefore we give that kind of mercy. And Paul wants us to know, Paul wants us to be perfectly clear that you and I We are the results of that kind of love given to us by a Savior who loves us that much in that way. You know, a short time ago, I want to tell you, our two-year-old 
grandson, Trip Tyler, was exploring, unbeknown to anybody else, and he found a bottle of black fingernail polish. Trip, being the very bright young man that he is, knows how to open that bottle. And being very artistic and creative, he thought that it might be a good time to share that bottle with the walls in a certain room. Now, it was the only room on the top floor that also had carpet. So as he painted his feet, he left marks where he walked. And you can scrub as you will, but those marks are there. It's so funny, you can scrub as hard as you want to on the wall, and it will literally take the paint off the wall, but it still leaves a mark of where he had been. Here's a question. Does this kind of intentional, selfless, sacrificial love mark how you and I live our lives? Is it that kind of love that leaves a trail or an imprint or an impact of where we've walked? Do we choose to always act on the best interests of others? Are we willing to give up so another person can have, or even so another person can be elevated? I know, friends, to share that kind of love calls for extraordinary effort, doesn't it? I mean, to go the second mile sometimes, ooh. But do you want to know something? That's the kind of love it takes to impact a community for Christ. It's the kind of love that it takes for the body of Christ to be the body of Christ. And finally, Paul writes about, Paul writes about the pa- being carried by our hope. He says, the patience of your hope in our Lord Jesus Christ Now, this word patience can be literally translated to say endurance. The word not only implies a willingness, it's a capacity, if you will, to persevere, to hang in. But it also means to be able to sustain. And the reason that we're able to sustain is because we see opportunities that other people outside the faith just can't see. You see, we're brought to a perception, if you will, to the possibilities of what Christ can do in situations that other folks just don't understand. One translation says that is because we are inspired by our hope. We do not come to this hope in and of ourselves. It means that we're inspired. We're created. It's something placed inside us, outside our situation. And this hope is just solidified by the fact that we believe this Jesus that we know that we've given our lives to can and will make that kind of difference. He can do something even in the most hopeless situations. He gives us hope. Philippians 1, 6, we believe he who began a good work in us will carry it on to completion. We believe that in every situation in life, there is a hope in Christ. Mark 10, 27 says, with man, this is impossible, but not with God. For all things, all things are possible with God. Christ brings to you and me, friends, I love this because Christ brings to you and me the the possibility of hope. A hope that helps carry us through trials and struggles. But I wanted you to know this is a hope even beyond this life. 
You see, our hope in Christ brings to us the hope of eternity. The promise that with the gift of hope, this hope can transcend even the pain and the struggles of the present. It promises us, it gives to us the belief and the hope the promise of a greater tomorrow. 2 Corinthians 4.16 says, that's why we never give up. Don't you love that phrase? Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day. For our present troubles are quite small, but they won't last very long. Yet they produce for us an immeasurably great glory that will last forever. So don't, we don't look at the troubles we see right now. You remember when we talked a few weeks ago about looking over the wall? The hope of Christ gives you and me the ability to look over the wall. To believe that there is something better. Something more. It says, rather, we look forward to what we have not yet seen. For the troubles we see will soon be over. But notice what he says. But the joys to come, they'll last forever. You want to know something? You travel to Disney World and you go to the Pirates of the Caribbean section. Before you enter into that section of Disney World, there is a a prominent sign, and that prominent sign just says this, abandon all hope. Abandon all hope. It is a statement that sets forth the premise that on these premises... Hope is to be cast away as one with a tethered sail that is beyond compare. But please, please hear me. That is never the case for the believer. No, in every season of life, whether we're celebrating or mourning, whether we're wrestling or rejoicing, whether we're questioning or trusting, You and I, you and I, friends, we can hold fast to hope. And that's exactly what Paul is thinking, thanking the Thessalonians for. That in the midst of their persecution and their struggles and their trials, they're holding on. He said, your endurance is in Christ. I read this week, one writer wrote, hope, hope is the raw material from which faith builds the house. Can I say it again? Hope is the raw material from which faith builds the house. 1 Peter 1.3 says, In God's great mercy, He has given us new birth. And what does He say? Into a living hope. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Isaiah 40.31 says, But to those who hope in the Lord, He will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. And they will walk and not be faint. Did you know sometimes, sometimes hope, hope is not found in the soaring or the running. Hope is found in walking steadfast with Jesus. It's about saying, Lord, I want you to know I'm I'm at a tough place, but here's the deal, God. I'm walking with you. I'm walking with you. I have a hope that's beyond what I'm going through. I have a hope that things can be different even when I can't see it. I have a hope. I have a hope that leads me through. 
And I close with this verse. And may the God of hope, may the God of hope fill you and me with all joy and all peace as we trust in Him. And notice what Paul writes. So that you and I may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Oh, my friends, you and I, we don't abandon hope. We lean into hope. Because Christ makes that possible. And perhaps, perhaps today, you and I need that kind of faith to start shaping our lives. Perhaps today we need that kind of love to motivate us and maybe just move us beyond ourselves. Or perhaps we need that kind of hope right now to carry us through the trials and the struggles we're facing. And whatever that case may be for each one of us in this place, We can this moment, this moment, we can take a hold of that kind of faith and hope and love. Because here's the good news. Because of Jesus, they are always, 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 always ours for the taking. Amen. And amen. Let's stand and worship. Mm-hmm.